Count me out. I'm never going to the theater with Peter again. Remember when you were younger, Uncle Vanya used to spend whole nights translating books for you. Uncle Vanya and I worked without rest, afraid to spend a kopeck on ourselves. What the hell is this? For crying out loud, somebody throw a pie! Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb and this is my co-host Mike and we are talking a newish film, one that came out in 2022. Uh, wrapping up our trilogy for this month, we are talking the foreign film Drive My Car. We rarely get into foreign films, Mike. It's all about Hollywood and Michael Bay around here. I mean, I think the numbers reflect that we need more thrillers from the early 90s with Michael Keaton. <laughs> That's what we should be doing, but we will do this A-B testing with a Best Picture nominee in Drive My Car. Uh, a rare one. Uh, it's it's odd. Whenever a foreign film gets nominated for Best Picture, they pretty much never win. Parasite was a real anomaly uh, in, in the past few years, but for the most part, it doesn't happen. And even you know why? When, tell me. Because Parasite was entertaining. <laughs> that's, that's why. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. We're going to go down this road. Well, here's the thing. Whenever a foreign film gets that Best Picture nominee, you rarely see it in the other categories, right? Uh, uh, rarely ever in acting. Occasionally, you'll get a director or something. But uh, this one kind of crossed. That didn't win anything outside of, I think, Best Foreign Film or Best International Feature. You kind of have to. If you get the Best Picture nomination, you should be a lock for the you know smaller categories. So you know if Pixar gets a best picture nominee, you're pretty damn skippy it's gonna win best animated feature. I would think. But you know, who knows? The director picture categories historically have not matched up, so uh who really knows? Uh but yes, this one um I believe uh all credit to the uh, extended invitations in the Academy, uh the sort of Oscar So White. I think this is a direct result of that because they opened up the ranks to younger filmmakers, uh, international filmmakers. They were a bit more proactive as far as what the body of the Academy looked like. And I think that's, we're seeing like a direct result with Parasite winning, which I, I love Parasite. And I mean, it was a totally valid win. Drive my car being nominated. Eh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get right into it. I absolutely adored the picture. I really did. That Shocker. also, Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, when we talked uh, the Paul Rudd and Rachel Wise picture, um, God damn it, it was based on that play. I'm trying to remember. We, we did an episode on a Paul Rudd movie? Uh, not on Trilogy and Oh, okay. Oh, okay. The Shape of Things. Yes. You and I talked. You and I talked Shape of Things, and it was such an awesome moment for me because I had seen... The Shape of Things being performed at my 
College uh, by the you know the the theater troupe there and Jay Saunders. I don't know where Jay is. Uh, you know, I, I met him briefly in one of our acting classes, and I saw him perform the the lead in Shape of Things, and I also saw him perform Uncle Vanya. And so it was a cool thing to watch this movie. And I, I love Uncle Vanya. Have you seen the Louis Malle uh, uh, weird docu-slash-theater production movie, uh, Vanya on 42nd Street? I fell asleep during that question, so oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's wonderful. It's an awesome, awesome movie. Especially if you like the Chekhov play. Gosh, I, I'm, I'm all... Who do you think uh, I am here? Norm Macdonald? You think this is where I get my comedy? No, I mean, I wish, but no, I, I'm not looking for the <laughs> the greats of, you know, Eastern Europe. I, I think this is one of the rare moments I can call you a Philistine. Like a rare, rare moment. I, I'm, I'm bringing all the culture here. Well, when you said, hey, we're doing a new release, I almost jumped in and said, it's not the Batman. It's something like <laughs> You have wild <laughs> swings, Webb. Um, I know. Uh, let me give you another wild swing. So yeah. I watched this. I believe it was, uh, was it like the 2021-22 Oscar season? Um, and I know this played the festival circuit in 2021. I don't know if it got a proper release in the States because my exposure to it was uh, HBO Max at the time. Um, and, you know, during the immediate, you know, pandemic years, uh, I mean, hell, we had Nomadland which <laughs> premiered on Hulu taking a best picture <laughs> win. So things got a little dicey, a little shaky here. And I will fully admit that I watched, I at least got to the title sequence of this, which I think comes in 45 minutes into the movie. Yes. Um, you know, after uh, we, we get a, the, the big death, you know, it's not exactly the psycho shower scene as far as uh, a twist. But I'm like, okay, so this is what the movie's going to be about. And it jars you because the title comes up and you realize you've been watching this thing for, you know, half of a slasher movie, half of the runtime of that <laughs> genre. Uh, I didn't dislike it, but I did start to greatly when we got into the uh, pre-production of this uh, play that he's going to put on uh, that he's sort of been hired out to do this. You talked about how this is like a best international, uh, you know, winner. Uh, that's also within the narrative of the film that he he's using uh, actors from uh, different countries and language mm -hmm. is no barrier, which is pretty cool. First time watch, uh, I was like, can we get back to the the cheating wife who died? Like, what what's going on here? Let's can we get back to the? I guess I'm looking at it as like a. Uh, Pedro like Almodovar kind of like soap opera thing, and I thought we were getting off the rails. I didn't finish it. I like I had my intermission, which lasted two years, <laughs> two years of <and> change. <laughs> but uh, speaking of wild swings, I really got into it this time, and I don't know why. Like I, so I'm I I knew at least the you know almost first hour of this thing. And I threw, I think I threw it out there. I think I'm going to, you know, you I, did. I threw it out there to you and you're like, Oh, I didn't watch that one. I was meant to, uh, I did try to steer you to conspiracy theory, the Richard Donner classic with Julia Roberts and Mel Gibson. <laughs> and you swatted that away. And I, you know, my big melodramatic monologue at the end of this episode that will mirror this movie is the numbers we lost out on by not doing a nineties thriller, <laughs> a forgettable nineties thriller, which is our bread and butter. But I really got into it this time, 
And so I don't really have much in the way of talking points about the film itself. Certainly not about Uncle fucking Vanya. Jesus. Uh, but I do want to ask you if you had another experience like that where there's something that is just decidedly not working for you and the film itself doesn't change. But whatever you, point in time you come to it, like the next time around, something clicks that didn't click at all before. Because that's the experience I had with this one. And I can only think of Eyes Wide Shut as sort of most famously for me that I did not like on first watch. Uh, but I was also a stupid teenager then. This is, <laughs> I was hovering 40 and now I'm post 40. So I don't know what, it, am I just more depressed now? Am I just, <laughs> what, what, what happened here, Webb? Well, for me, I absolutely know 100% uh, the example I'm going to use is A Serious Man. I watched it theatrically. Uh, the audience was having a grand old time laughing at all the jokes. They were really yucking it up. And I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> Your and arms now... crossed in the theater, scowling <laughs> at everyone, enjoying themselves. <laughs> yes. And now it's one of my favorite films ever made. I, I would, I, you know, anytime I throw around terms like top 10, I always have to like, is it? I don't know. It might be a top 10. It's my favorite Coen Brothers film. And I think that's really high praise considering... I would consider multiple movies of theirs to be near flawless. So, a serious man. Uh, this one, uh, while I agree the soap opera element of it really does go away, it it just burrows itself deep within the movie. Because everything that's happening with our main character, uh, Kafuku, is based on what's happened with his wife you know the the big theme of this one is dealing with loss and and how to how to move on how to come to terms with the loss and this new reality uh, one of his monologues at the end is like i i want her to be alive and i want to berate her about you know what she did and he's not able to do that everything everything that he is doing is a way of not dealing with her loss and what he can't do something else just clicked with me you really dig movies where the wife is dead and there's a sad <laughs> bastard left behind who doesn't who has a very complicated relationship with his wife and there's a lot of things they didn't get to discuss and then she fucking dies. <laughs> like like are you saying like you know, if this starred George Clooney, would you love it just as much? Or is this a <laughs> you know well in the English uh version of this, do they have to pull back a little bit on the, the melodrama? Because that's something I think about with you know, I, I mentioned uh, I'm with Ovar. Like, I don't think his stuff, if it was, you know, English speaking actors, if it was uh, Kate Blanchett, I think we would be like, well, this is a bit much. And there is like, this film is odd and it is so restrained for so long until you get to this sequence where his driver and, and himself, like they pretty much put all their cards on the table to each yeah. other. Like there's been this slow sort of like thawing, uh, of their relationship between, you know, someone who purely is doing the Ryan Gosling bit from Drive, like that's what I'm paid to do. I just drive, like, like I don't, I make no judgments about anything. To where they have this really intimate relationship that I don't know if you necessarily uh, see coming. I, I didn't. I didn't think they would sort of go that that distance. But do you think that it we would allow for that sort of? I don't know. Is it like a cultural thing that we're yes. as Americans, yep. we were just, we sort of recoil from seeing people like us sort of express themselves. So, so openly. Cause I think this movie does earn it. It's not like they're just blubbering on about all their feelings the entire time. I mean, you do get to the point where you want to see that release and it is novelistic in that way. But I was struggling to think of an American film 
that sort of allows those sort of like open wounds in in that way. Like even something like uh, Manchester by the Sea, which is very melodramatic. It's sort of, you know, it was praised on the restraint of the Casey Affleck performance. He's playing a guy that will not allow himself to sort of boil over. And uh, I, yeah, I just don't know if this is something that we just, uh, you know, we should allow American performers to kind of go that distance, I think, without shaming them. You know, one of the performances that comes to mind is Colin Farrell in In Bruges and how he kind of refuses to deal. That's a good pull. You know, mm-hmm. with with the death of the boy that he accidentally, you know, kills. And, but um, that film is so guarded with its humor. Like, that's yeah. like we, we have to we have some allowances for that. But then he has to make fun of a dwarf, you know, in the very next <laughs> sequence. <laughs> that's right. I have to uh, point out um, one particular performance. Uh, I don't know the actress's name, but but it's it's her character name is uh, Li Yuna. She's the um the one who cannot speak but she can hear and she signs. Her performance is so good. And in fact, I want to kind of direct our conversation to that dinner scene between her uh, um our main character, Misaki the driver, and then the the translator, the husband character. That dinner scene was so lovely. I, I had to stop it, and I actually rewatched it two or three times before moving on to the rest of the film because I was like, I don't want that dinner to be over. It rivals the dinner scene in Notting Hill for me because now you're it's... pulling me in. There we go. That's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I absolutely adore that dinner scene in Notting Hill. Second, oh, uh, no, best scene of the film. I, I still say uh, uh, I'm just a girl, you know, saying we're a boy that. That was ruined by the following scene, <laughs> but <laughs> like her not really having a proper family because again, again, I don't want to call it a brave performance, but a risky performance because she's essentially kind of playing herself. She's playing a movie star and that is tricky. And so she's inserting herself into that family and kind of um, with in that one, Tim, Tim McGurney gives, gives a really great performance and they talk about him and his wife and about how, uh, you know, they're the most miserable of all of them, and so they deserve that last, but, you know, great performance there. And kind of the same thing happening in the one in Drive My Car, and you kind of start seeing a little bit of, not saccharin, but that sweetness. Even the, 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 our main character, when he delivers that really wonderful compliment to his driver, he does it so stoically, as if, like, Damn it! I have to give her this praise. It's it's meaningful, and she's earned it. And even then, she kind of <laughs> she moseys away in a way. I was like, "What is happening?" And she's playing with the dog. The camera doesn't pan properly. I was like, "Even she can't handle it either." Both characters are so damaged in that way, and I love how you don't know that. And you're right; the flood of emotions comes towards the end, and it all kind of makes sense. And it is absolutely a cultural thing, I think. And because a movie like this, a Japanese film, can get into some kind of weird territory. I, my wife walks in, and I'm in the middle of this movie. She's like, "Hey, what are you watching?" I was like, eh, "I'm driving my car." This movie that came out last year. It's like, "What is that about?" And I'm like, "I can't." It's like it's, <laughs> it'll take me too long to explain what this movie is about. Just stick with the title, Web. Well, this guy needs his car driven by someone else. You know, he's got some vision problems. That's all. We'll see where it goes from there. <sighs> this is going to be an odd transition. <laughs> so my favorite character, which is just going full like Jay Marr from uh, from Jerry Maguire, the asshole agent that tries to you know steal everything that Tom Cruise has earned, um, is the 
younger actor. As no! We find out, and as we will find out, <laughs> is the lover of Webb's, you know, avatar, the sad bastard genre he loves so much. The reason for the sad bastard. Uh, same with the, you know, the descendants. I was very pro Matthew Lillard. I just found that so lovely that he was the guy <laughs> that was cuckolding George Clooney of all people. <laughs> but this young jackass actor, you do not love the scene where, you know, I talked about how the, the driver, you know, eventually we put all the cards on the table with these two. Uh, there's a driving sequence uh, where she's listening in where he, you know, he starts to say like, Hey, you know, your wife told me a story once. And there's this whole, as you said, weird thing where, uh, she came up with the stories during intercourse, um, which is, you know, I mean, that's, if I was a professional <laughs> writer, I think I would say, yeah, that's my process. As well. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do it. But, um, and they share this. Well, I mean, not only a sexual experience is the same one, but the this narrative that she was crafting during sex. Totally weird. I was riveted during this whole sequence because you have no idea how this is going to play out. It's such an odd thing that to not only to say that, yes, I was like sleeping with your wife, which he already knew, but then to multiply the intimacy by also getting yes. that, that is i'd yes. never seen that done before i don't think i'd ever seen you've seen that situation in film before, but not the way they do it in that sequence and i was fascinated by it and i can't believe you dislike that character because that was such a such a curveball to me with him i mean he's a jackass don't get me wrong he's not, not a likable that's dude. why but that sequence was i don't know just riveting to me because i just i was i was definitely had my hands forward like i don't know how this is going to play out thank god there's a driver there but boy she has earned her paycheck to listen to a lot of <laughs> weird shit in the back of the car <laughs> i mean beyond just the situation and the tension between these two people and, and sharing the uh, you know a certain woman you're also very completely captivated and invested in the story mm -hmm. that yes. she created um, and, and again, like all, I think, great stories, it ends and you're like, is that the ending? You, is that enough? And and we have no idea. Really, really captivating thing. I mean, obviously, great performance, great character. I'm really putting myself in the shoes of our protagonist. And he has much more shocker. restraint. Again, than I shocker. <laughs> than I Webb walks around thinking, I am George Clooney. <laughs> that is me. <laughs> Let's face it, you know I'm walking around thinking I'm Paul Giamatti, <laughs> not George Clooney. Let's talk, you know, um, while we're on the on the subject of, of his, uh, uh, Kafuku's wife, let's talk about um, uh, uh, Misaki's mother. I think those two characters who create such grief for our kind of two protagonists... I think there's something really interesting happening. I was discussing this with my brother and he brought this up. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. It's art as a means of escape from reality. So you've got a protagonist and his wife who have lost a, a child to pneumonia. And so she starts creating stories. She becomes kind of a storyteller during sex, which, I, again, I haven't spent enough time with this movie, but it feels like there's metaphors there for her own issues. And so she's using this weird way of storytelling to escape from her own reality or to mask it. Uh, uh, Misaki's mother kind of, again, we don't know, but either has a mental illness or uses some kind of a weird performance art to 
counteract the violence towards her own daughter to try to make it okay uh, uh and and be either purposely or or not schizophrenic almost to and have that split personality i thought that was really interesting again a cultural thing like i hope that there's not going to be a remake or anything but you can't do this in 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 a hollywood film can you parasite you can do uh this one no i don't i don't think this i just don't think it would you know translate um now you could riff on it i i think you could take some of it and do like an american version or or another country uh certainly but just a you know a straightforward remake of it no i don't i don't think it works uh, i like what you're talking about as far as art as a uh almost protective or defensive barrier uh between reality i don't think our uh main character is doing that though like he seems like in the way he is directing his actors um to stop distancing themselves from the text like he keeps i mean he he wants it very sort of monotone and vanilla and it's like he's like just keep just read it just read it and it's there it's there on the page and I, I thought that was like the first time around. I hate it because I'm like, oh my god! Like, like can, we get, can we make this interesting? Do I have to sit through the auditions this many times? But the second time, I found that fascinating because it's, it's. I don't know if it's a more honest. I don't know if there is like a more honest form of grief. Uh, it's it's weird to say like you know which one who's doing grief correctly here, but he seems to think that he can still be in this world, but he doesn't want to perform for anyone. Like he, he just wants to live in it and he's doing this thing. And it's like offensive to him to see people like put those barriers in place between their emotions and their own experiences and try to say, well, like I'm just playing this character Our our, you know, uh, Matthew Lillard here, you know, his, his thing is like, well, I'm, I'm kind of young, right? Well, young and handsome. And he doesn't really say inexperienced, but I mean, I guess the more polite version is saying I'm too inexperienced to play the lead character here. Why am I doing this? Why am I being asked to take that on? Uh, but he, you know, as much as Webb hates him, reveals himself to be <laughs> equally damaged as these two. Um, not as forgivable but equally damaged as them. He is not just the Lothario that just wants to have sex with everyone. And like he, his, his surface level rage uh, was also fascinating. And I didn't see that coming either. So yeah, I was, I was the second time around, I was really into, um, you know, I mean, do you think art is therapeutic in that way? Or is it like a vice that keeps you from like evolving for in your own life? Is it just like this bandaid you put on yourself? Cause I, I don't know if there's a right answer here, but it seems like that's something that's kind of being debated uh, by these, these artists. Definitely. You've got our main character, Kafuku, who is literally kind of escaping art. Like he refused, like, you know, his breakdown in the uh, performance as uncle Vanya forces him to retreat because he gets too close like that work is too close to him to the point where at the end of the movie where he's telling his driver like like hey it's gonna be okay life is miserable we're gonna be okay we'll soldier on and it mirrors the next scene where he's literally giving that same um not advice but same monologue to the sonia character in uncle vanya and i i'm 
I'm in tears at the end of that, the, the, especially um, saying everything that the Sonya character is doing it through sign language. I'm like, I was done. Like, I, I'm, I am glad that I was in this room alone so my wife couldn't see. <laughs> it, it may have been poor form if she came in and saw you weeping. It's like, what are you watching? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it's too hard to explain. <laughs> and I, I, one of the things also that we got to discuss is the obsession of both of our protagonists with the car. The movie is called Drive My Car. And... It's it's really a way of keeping their loved ones alive, right? It, it's kind of like Schrodinger's cat, where you don't know if the cat is alive or dead until you open up that box. The last day our protagonist's wife was alive, he kind of lied to her, I guess, you know, and he was just driving around all day, didn't want to come home. And so by wanting to be so far away from uh, his place of employment... You know, the rehearsal, always wanting to be in the car, not letting anyone else drive it. As long as he's driving and not going home, his wife is still alive. Well, and also literally speaking to him in the car. Yeah. Like they're having a yeah. back and forth conversation, a conversation that'll never end. Uh, so it's, it's all these little interesting looks at grief as this like static thing. Uh, and like, does does he see it as a betrayal if he even slightly moves on, which you can't really from that loss, but you, you have to, I mean, that's the, the last big melodramatic sort of gasp is like, you know, unless, unless, you know, we just choose to end our lives here, there eventually has to be a next thing. We, we have, there has to be something else. Uh, I loved all those details. Masaki is also, uh, uh, you know, she, she drives for a living, because uh, she would drive her mother, you know, uh, those two couple hours, the couple hours that her mother needed to sleep, right? And so as long as she's driving, her mother is still back there asleep, mm -hmm. and then yep. that guilt is assuaged. Gr just great. La the, uh, God, layers, man, layers. And so it is telling that at the end of that film, you have presumably our, our protagonist has given the car to uh, his driver maybe permanently and that's his way of okay like he's moved on or he's healing and she's physically healing because her scar from the accident uh, uh, their house the collapse of their house is beginning to heal or she's gotten some surgery she's taking that next step really lovely way to end it um that that their obsessions are now uh, they're, they're moving on from them, and they're they're ceasing to exist. Let's talk about the obsessions of our other couple films in our trilogy: Taxi Driver and Christine. So, in Drive My Not Car, conspiracy theory. That's for a future no. episode. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, in Drive My Car, obsession behind the wheel is uh, dealing with grief and loss. In Taxi Driver, obsession seems to be about dealing with isolation and being disconnected from society. And Christine is it seems to be about finding acceptance from something uh, that where everyone else has cast you out because you've got our main character Arnie uh, finally finding this inanimate object that's that's no longer inanimate. He finds himself in this vehicle, finding himself love, feeling like he can do anything. These are three very different 
takes on yes. on vehicles. And you know, I think back to Crash and how how <laughs> the, you know the vehicle is used for different things. Is there a movie out there where vehicles are not used for something horrible? Mm, I mean, it depends how populist you want to get. Uh, I mean, you know, Vin Diesel. I mean, there's a lot of horrible things that happen because of vehicles, but they seem to really love them. Like they, you know, it also allows them to have their ever expanding family cookouts and whatnot. Family, um, that's right. Yeah, I, I, for me, it was it was more in the sort of like isolating nature of of a vehicle. Uh, in this instance, uh, God, is it? It's depressing when I look at all three of them sort of like lined up. I'm like, is Travis Bickle the most optimistic character because he gets <laughs> in the car to try to meet other people and he knows like I'm lonely, but it's like I don't really know what's going on in the world. I, he doesn't know f- fuck all about politics. So as soon as a politician gets in, he suddenly, you know, he wants to register his sole complaint, which is it smells bad. <laughs> Can you do something <laughs> about the smell? Um, Christine, I agree with you. It starts that way. Like, you know, nerd gets a cool car and it helps him pick up a very tall lady. Uh, but he sides with the car over the hot <laughs> teenage girl. So it, it isolates him further. It may initially start out that way. Um, drive my car is... Obviously, the only one with, I think, a, a shred of, like, hope uh, and perhaps <laughs> dignity for, for our characters. <laughs> because while Travis Bickle is victorious at the end, we know far too much about the man to, to celebrate uh, this, you know, this bit of vigilante justice. Uh, I, I'm glad we did, you know, Christine was new for me. And it's probably not something I would have, I mean, at this, what is it, 40 years old? Um, I don't know if I would have gotten around to it except for a podcast, but I was pleasantly surprised how like into it I was. It didn't so much so that on that episode I talked about like, oh, you could have done this and that. Something I previously had no expectations for, suddenly I was disappointed in <laughs> because I got too <laughs> enthused about it like 20 minutes in. Uh, and then driving my car, you know, very different experience where I, I, I thought this was overrated Oscar bait crap uh and then i came back to it and you know this is i did you look at my letterbox i don't know if you did but i was i was really hyping up in our text messages like how much i was dreading this and this is junk and i'm gonna come in as the hater uh but i gave it four stars out of five it was i really really enjoyed it uh taxi driver all-time classic um but if i was going to say like if i had uh well you have a child that will be of driving age at you know, an indeterminate amount of time. Hopefully you're probably thinking, you know, that's forever away. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> which of these <laughs> driving <laughs> movies would you say, Hey, this is what driving a car is about. These are the motions you're going to obsession, I... isolation. <laughs> Where's the joy? <laughs> I guess I want to scare my child. From ever getting behind the wheel, Christine, <laughs> if I want to, uh, maybe, I was like, hey, Masaki, like like her, like drive like her so I can take a nap in the back. That is true. That is, a, you know, safety first in that regard, you know, if you can get that experience. Of course, you, you know, you, you live in a, a major American city, so I don't know, possibilities of... Uh, taking public transportation or, you know, walking. I can't say the same for Kentucky. We are very much like a driving across a decent amount of land. We do not have great uh, access to biking or walking here. 
I think we live right on the edge where if we want, we could be a transportation only like buses and and metro but i there's something about drive i i love driving i absolutely love driving so um so you're no different uh, than I'm, any of our protagonists here which one no. are you webb <laughs> my god i hope well, it's... clearly <laughs> I, I i'm the christopher nolan of my little world here and my wife emma thomas should be very worried <laughs> very worried <laughs> <laughs> 